begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to have you with me to get today, another weeknight, another evening, reflecting into uh, the richness of our faith. It is Tuesday, Tuesday evening, so we have the opportunity to get more into history and really get into uh, the beginning of, of history, if you will. Um, today, we are about uh, Matthew and the figure of Matthew. Last uh, few weeks, we've been talking about uh, the what and why of, of uh, history, and so today we begin to look at a little bit of uh, uh, who these people are that uh, give shape and form to history. And as I have been doing, and I will continue to do uh, each and every Tuesday, I have John O'Hara joining me from St. John's. Again, John, it is good to have you with me tonight. Thank you, Joe. Good to be here. So, John, just you know, briefly, by way of snapshot of the last few weeks, we, we've taken up the question, you know, why do we study history? And then also that, that other important question, what is history? And in, in the why, we're really after, uh, after that question of, of purpose and identity, you know, how essentially to, to know where you come from is to better know who you are and ultimately where you are going. You mentioned Kronos and Kairos. Those have been two themes from the past two weeks. Kronos is, of course, time. Kairos is grace. We've been trying to search for the meaning of history from time, which we all existed, and Kairos, God's grace, which comes to us through time. And uh, our job is to act on it. Yeah, amen. So um, we study Kronos so as to better understand you know, how God graces time. And so to that time, to what history means, uh, last week we looked at, um, you know, Mark Twain, you know, the, this idea of history not repeating itself, but it has a rhyme scheme. Good quote. You know, and, and, and ultimately, to, to get underneath that and say, well, history is not made up of some abstract series of events, a history does not spring forth from non-event, but it is, again, once again, defined by people in history. Uh, the wonderful quote from John Paul II, that history is not a series of chronological events, but an event of freedom, therefore placing an emphasis on man and man making the decision right or wrong that ultimately impacts history. As when we read literature, you look for the theme in the novel. And when we study history, you look for the theme in the history. It may not be quite as neat as the his, as the literature because it's not artifice; it's real yeah. happenings. But we got to look for the theme in our chronology. Yeah, and and sometimes it's messy. Right? It history, in fact, history is very messy. But this is why we, you know, take time out of our day so we study mm-hmm. and and study with purpose. Mm-hmm. Study with purpose, and so with that, John. We are going to start tonight a brief two-week study into the person of Matthew, uh, and then also uh, some of his writings, always taking up the question, what does this mean as it relates to history? And so 
with Matthew, I thought we could start with uh, a letter. I, I think I shared this a, a few months ago. It's, it's a fun little letter, and it really hits home the essence of what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, this is a letter uh, addressed to Jesus, son of Joseph, Woodcrafters Shop, the town of Nazareth, from Jordan Management Consultants, Jerusalem. The subject of this letter is Staff Aptitude Test, dated May 22nd, 30 AD. So, the letter is as follows. Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests, and we have not only run the results through our computer, but also have arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational consultant. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and gives in to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to to undermine team morale. (laughs) We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew, our figure of discussion tonight, has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. (laughs) James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness. Meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contact in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and innovative. We highly recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Fabulous. Yeah. (laughs) So, why share that letter as we embark on his study of Matthew. Uh, well, he's been blacklisted by the Greater uh, Jerusalem Better Business Bureau for a reason, right? <laughs> he was indeed, yes. <laughs> so uh, what can we say of Matthew here, John? It would be important to maybe start off with the call of Matthew. I mean, really, that's the place to start so as to better understand who he is. And we're going to do this by going into the Gospel of Matthew itself. This is uh, chapter 9, verses 9 to 13, for for those of you who have uh, your Bibles out there. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he sat at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. 
I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the righteous. Not, I, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Yes. So in this calling, we have a, a wonderful example of response. It's to first say, before we get into this, what does Matthew mean? I think this is really interesting, John. Matthew means uh, a gift from God, a gift from God. And what's even more interesting, maybe, is the other name that he has taken up, Levi, means he joined. He joined. So here you have this man who is a gift from God joining Christ in his mission. There was a line that you read uh, where he said, Jesus says, follow me, and he rose and followed him. And I would like to compare that to a chapter later on in Matthew chapter 19, where we have the rich young man. Mm. And the rich young man says, what do I have to do to follow you? And Jesus says, well, you have two big uh, commandments, uh, love the Lord your God. And then uh, the list of the usual, um, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, and so on and so forth. And the young man says, but I'm already doing that. What else do I have to do? And Jesus says to the young man, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And the young man did not do it. Now, in that sentence by Jesus, there's some interesting imperative verbs in the imperative uh, mood, if you remember your sophomore yeah. English. <laughs> it says, yeah, yeah. go, sell, give, come, follow. He couldn't do it. But Matthew didn't wait a second, it seems to me. He got up and followed him yeah. to his beautiful home. And he must have known many people because he filled the house that night, I assume. And... uh and that was it. He may never have seen that house again, for all I know. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, that, that's a wonderful comparison there, John. And it's really important because it does highlight, again, the person of Matthew. It's fascinating what John Paul II does with, that, uh, with, the, with the story of the rich young man. He devotes his entire encyclical on the splendor of truth, the very oh toddy splendor, on that rich young man to highlight, to highlight our response and what we might be too attached to. You know, very taught as splendor. That that work is really focused on the objective moral standard. And he teases out in each chapter through that story the importance of embracing the truth that is before you. The rich young man couldn't do it for a reason. He was too attached. He was too busy moonlighting, if you will, what money can buy. But, but, don't, but don't you understand, Lord? My father, all of his possessions. No, no. And, yeah, and then Matthew, you have this wonderful, this figure who, yeah, he's, he's, he's a, a publican, right? He's a tax collector. He's wealthy. And look, look at his response. Yeah. The rich young man was probably a nice guy, you know. Oh, I mean, sure. he was not an evil person or anything like that, but... He just couldn't give, I mean, he, he, you know, he was not bad, shall we say, Christian. But Matthew, he was the saint, and that's, that's the model. Yeah, and what John Paul II draws out in, in this juxtaposition, if you will, that you, you're, you're speaking to um, now beautifully, John, is essentially how we give, but it's measured, it's calculated. We give to a point— 
I mean, what does the papacy of Pope, Fran- Pope Francis represent? He says to us, echoing John Paul II, you give from what you have, but give from what you don't have. Yeah. Ooh, that, yeah. that is, uh, that's tough. Yeah. You know, and really, it's, it's a point of discernment for all of us. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we can say, John, that in, in what we're talking about right now, that there's you know, one specific thing that could be applied in a general consensus. You know, we, we all need to take ownership of what that means for us in our life. And what, what I mean by that is, you know, $20 to this person means something very different to $2 over here. And we can give $1,000. But if we're a millionaire, what does that mean? We can give $10, but if that's all we've made in a day, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You yeah. see, this is what Pope Francis is teasing out, and certainly what John Paul II was in that work, highlighting what you're highlighting right now. Yes. You know, are we disposed to give everything? This is the wonderful example that we have in the person of Matthew, this tax collector. You know, he was a miserly figure, John. He liked people only if they liked you. That's what a tax collector was, right? He got <laughs> so, that job. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's what it's about. And, and this is this whole idea of tax collector sinner. I mean, should we be saying that? Well, this is what's in the gospel. Yes. Right? I mean, that, this is what's being drawn out in the gospel. You know, if, if you're going, you know, the, the apostles, if you're going in there, his house, do you realize what you're doing? I mean, this was scandal. Because why? They were tax collectors. You know, they, they mingled with the wrong people. They were infected, you know, this kind of thing. Yeah. And yet, in a, in a wonderful response, and just like that one verse, he follows him. Like that. Yeah, he, he follows him. And it's, it's, uh, it's beautiful, and it's, it's never to forget. You know, it's certainly ne- never to forget. He's an admirable man to have done what he did. I mean, I... I don't think I could. Well, I hope I could. But anyway, he I, just to give it up, I mean, maybe of all of the apostles, he gave up a lot. I mean, certainly uh, James and John were upper middle class fishermen, gave up a boat. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty, you know, I'm not. But Matthew certainly parted with some things that he, he liked. And when, going back to your opening wonderful letter, uh, yeah. Where was Jesus supposed to go and recruit according yeah. to this company? Go to yeah. the Pharisees yeah, 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 and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. "You guys had experience yeah, exactly. and education. Come follow yeah. me." Uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> Yeah, we wouldn't have had a church. Yeah, and, and, and on that note, there's something really interesting, John. When Saint John Chrysostom, the, the real uh, the catechetical figure in the early church, was I think the first one to really draw this out. He says, "Look closely in Scripture. What you'll find within the callings of the twelve is five that are tied to their duties, their trades, their positions, okay? Mm-hmm. Peter, James, Andrew, and John were all called while doing what? Fishing, which that was the most common trade back then. That is how you made your life, okay? Here you have Matthew. He's a tax collector. So you have, once again, this wonderful contrast. And by that I mean he calls these men who come from the most common trade— and then he calls this man who comes from the most despised trade and the despised vocation, and he brings them together. Now, why would God do that? Why would God do that? Well, because he knows we need each other. 
even if we don't like each other, John. Yes. No. I mean, if you really think about this critically, and we ought, here as we're talking about to the, the figure of Matthew, uh, these are people who did not like each other, and they had to sleep with one another, eat with one another, travel with one another, and I'm sure get on each other's nerves, right? They but, were human. Yeah, they were human. And what does God want to do? What does Jesus want to show us? That the person that you dislike most at your work, the person that you despise, the person that you just struggle with, that's my gift to you, to make you a better person, to make you a more whole person. Because as I've said before, and I could never say enough, you need to be challenged, challenge provocatio, to call forth, to call out. He calls these 12 together, what I call the first motley crew, if you will, before our 70s, 80s band, okay? The first motley crew. Uh, He does so for a reason. And I think it's a wonderful example that we can begin to think about in our own lives. Because if we're not going to allow that truth in our own lives, I think we're missing something, John. Yes. Uh, I think we're missing something. And certainly... Uh, the gospel is shaped and formed by this, and I mean, you really see this drawn out, just not in the gospel, but also Paul's letters, you know, the conversations that are had. Uh, so it's a really important piece that uh, we don't want to overlook. Uh, I wanted to read something from Pope Benedict XVI um, in regards to just a brief insight on this whole sinner tax collector He says, Matthew, in fact, not only handled money deemed impure because of its provenance from people foreign to the people of God, but he also collaborated with an alien and despicably greedy authority whose tributes, moreover, could be arbitrarily determined. This is why the Gospels link tax collectors with sinners tax collectors with prostitutes. You know, that's noted in Matthew 21, 31. Matthew wants us to see this, that he calls the least expected. You know, we have it all figured out, John, our lives. You know, we have it all planned out. And we say, okay, Lord, bless this, bless that. But we have to ask the question, what is God already blessing? How does God want to work in my life where, where I might not be looking? You know, again, this, these pieces that just kind of fall from the pages, these wonderful pieces that fall from the biblical text, we must grab hold of and see them for what they are. This, this is about John Paul II, you know, an event of freedom. Matthew decided, unlike the rich young man, Matthew decided freely to follow Jesus. He did, and with all of his entire heart. Yeah. And he wrote a beautiful gospel, and uh, I'm, I'm glad we have it. We can go into its contents maybe at a later time, but it is a surpassingly beautiful gospel. Uh, most people, uh, at least in those times, felt it was the first gospel, and he wrote very well. And uh, Yeah, and with that, John, why don't we go ahead and just lay the foundation for maybe some things that we're going to talk about next week. Um, and maybe we can start with what he starts with. Uh, for some, something that's very confusing. You know, you go to the Gospel of Matthew, and what do you read? That Jesus Christ is the son of Abraham, the son of David. Well, what's that business about, John? When you talk about 
the good news, the evangelion, the transforming message. You know, we're talking about repentance, you know, new, new relationship with Christ, this new dispensation of grace. Genealogies? Matthew is interested that they are Jews, mm. and that's who he is writing to. And that's why we have the genealogy, and they're Jewish. And that is, well, not, they're not all Jewish, but they were certainly connected with the Jews. And um, that's the important, because this is your tradition, Jewish people. And I think I read somewhere uh, that he wrote his gospel in Aramaic or Hebrew. And uh, maybe around the year 50. Yes. This was from uh, the Navarre Study Bible. And then it got translated into Greek maybe 10 years later, possibly by him. But all we have is the Greek. The original Aramaic is gone. But uh, that's, you know, that's what he wants to get. You are part of this tradition, Jewish people. Here is where you are coming from. This is your history. And it has taken this turn. Yeah, and, and amen to that turn. Amen to that. Yeah, and it's actually, it's interesting. You use the word turn, John, and the word for, <laughs> the word for conversion or repentance, rather, metanoia in the Greek, that, that uh, the Gospels use, that we associate usually associate with the gospel means to turn, uh, right? To turn. Yeah. So the gospel itself, this is the shift. There's a new shift, right? And, and ultimately, yeah, you're right. Matthew is writing to a Palestinian Christian Jewish audience who steeped in the Old Testament, uh, and because of that, what is he going to do? He's going to draw from the two great covenants in the Old Testament. Right? Abraham and David. Abraham in Genesis 12 developed over nine chapters, ten chapters throughout Genesis 12 to 21. And then, of course, the great covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7, 10. The wonderful uh, promise that God will be in his line, in his lineage, uh, or God will come from his line, in his lineage, uh, and I will bless that dynasty for all eternity. For all eternity. So, why is this good news, John? Because they have been waiting for a long time. Yeah. I don't know about you, but there have been things in my life where I have waited for a long time. But my waiting pales in comparison to the weight of the Jews. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, so here, Matthew opens up his gospel rightfully with good news. This is who Jesus was. He was the prom- the fulfillment of the promise. He is the Son who has come, who had come to redeem man. And of course, he develops this genealogy. But we highlight this because really, you know, I get asked the question a lot, John, you know, how are we to interpret Scripture? Can't we just open up the Bible and be inspired? Yeah, that's fine. And that's fine. But it's more than that. It's a lot more than that. There's two major principles that the church fathers give us that Jesus Christ himself gives us in the gospel. That essentially you interpret the text within the historical context, okay, within the cultural milieu, if you will, grabbing hold of all those important pieces. I mean, we have to ask the question, okay, Matthew was writing to this Palestinian Christian Jewish audience. We have to get into the mind of both the author and the audience to better understand, you know, the text itself. This is very important. I mean, I often share the story, you know, I have a Carmelite cloistered sister. 
she, you. Yeah. <laughs> <Lucky> you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> amen, amen. She writes me beautiful letters. Now, I can take those letters, put them in a treasure and bury it, and someone can pick it up, uh, un, uh, find this treasure 500 years from now, read these letters, and John, they would be inspired. They'd be inspired. But if they really wanted to know what all of those letters are about, they're going to have to know my family. They're going to have to better know True. the Sacramento yes. diocese. Yes. They're going to have to know the political current of the time with some of those letters, you see, so as to better understand the intention of my sister and why she's saying what she's saying and why she's requesting what she's requesting for me and all the rest. We do the same with Scripture. You know, what zoologist, when given an animal, does not do his homework on the original habitat of that animal? None. Yeah. We're not dissecting something that's dead. It's living. It's the inspired Word of God. But we have to have an appreciation for the intention of the author. And then, yes, it's spiritual sense. I just talked about the literal sense, the historical context and how important that is. Then, John, you have the spiritual sense. And this is what we're going to talk about a great deal next week, how Matthew develops this great teaching of how Christ fulfills the great promise of the Old Testament. Uh, and this is, this is essential uh, for what he does and, and what he's teaching. That's yeah. why we read Matthew, to find out that, that, you know, we read for the spiritual truths, chronos, kairos. We read for both, and we've got to get the kairos out of it, or we've missed some important points. Yeah. A- amen. Yeah, I mean, really, it's, it's a letter and spirit, chronos and kairos. I think that's put well, John, as you start talking about how to go about reading Scripture. And again, this is certainly what we're going to be about next week. Matthew using things that are familiar to explain things that are unfamiliar. This is what he's about, to show his audience, to show those faithful people how, in fact, Christ was the Word incarnate, how Christ was the Son of Man who's come to redeem man. Um, so yeah, this is good news. I mean, I do. This son of Abraham, son of David, it, that seems fishy to a lot of people, John, but <laughs> there's a reason why. Yes, there is. There's a reason why. That's and, your history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with that, John, we'll close. And, and for our listeners out there, you know, tune in next Tuesday evening, next Tuesday night, as we begin to unpack uh, the gospel of Matthew. And again, we're constantly focusing in, John, on this theme of history. What does this mean for the early Christians? We can, we can start with these other figures, but we have to lay the foundation, and this is what we're about. We're still laying the foundation right now. <laughs> you know, so we're still reflecting into uh, these early pieces. And, uh, and I'm having a good time doing so, John. <laughs> oh my, thank you, Joe. <laughs> yeah, so let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. And God bless you. 
You've been listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening from 6.30 to 7 p.m. right here on KKXX. If you have questions or feedback, you may email Joe at J-H-O-L-L-J-M-J at yahoo.com. For a copy of today's program, visit joeholcraft.org or call KKXX during regular business hours at 894-7325. Thanks for listening to the Seeds of Truth on KKXX.